Let's make a simple analogy and return for a second to being that hominid infant who invented the proto-word ma. Well, we quickly learn to associate that morpheme with our supplier of milk, right? And so we call her when we need her. Ma! Now, on a purely phonological level, that begins, that sound begins with an attack, an ictus. Ma! And ends in a descending glide. Ma! That's the way we speak. Ictus plus glide. Of course, the glide may also be upward if the intention is interrogative. Ma! But now let's feel a tremendous intensification of our need, of our hunger, of our impatience. And so we intensify the ictus by prolonging it. Ma! And lo and behold, we are singing. Hey, hey, it's Tamara Coley here. Thanks for listening to another episode of My Third Ear. Now today's instrument. As Bernstein described, it's the most primitive instrument known to man. It's unique to us all, but we all have one. And we use it every single day. In fact, I'm using it right now. Introducing the human voice. Okay, so we can't all do that with our voices, but it's worth acknowledging that the voice is one of our most powerful assets. Think of how many people in your life you associate by their voice and the way they speak. And that's not even beginning to consider how we use our voice in an artistic sense. So how on earth am I meant to encapsulate all of the possibilities of the voice in one 25 minute episode? Short answer, I can't. So today I've decided to focus on a unique little corner of the vocal world, free vocal improvisation. We're going to look at artists who have taken their traditional training, whether it be classical, jazz, whatever that might be, or indeed they even have any, and we're going to explore how they're manipulating their voices to do something a little different. The glorious Ella Fitzgerald doing her thing. 
Now, when most people hear the word improvisation, they're going to think we're talking about jazz, which is kind of why I threw some jazz in there. And, I mean, that's rightly so because our current world, that's the context the word improvisation mostly comes up in. But improvisation actually had its roots in early music tradition, just like the voice did. Before the invention of musical notation, the voice was actually used to share musical traditions throughout generations of families. And this was often in order to survive. It had nothing to do with performing. Now to get a little technical for a second. The Oxford Music Dictionary describes improvisation as the freest kind of creative activity. And a lot of other notable texts express improv as a form of composing or performing without preparation. Now, I think you've got to be a little bit careful with how you interpret that. I'm not sure that the words without preparation are exactly correct, because if you look at all the artists we're going to explore today, they spend incredible amounts of time expanding their skill sets, exploring different methods in which they can present their material. They just might not know what order that material is necessarily going to come out in. Who let the left one in again? Yeah, the left one. The one who has all the ideas outside of the life, outside of the right. The one who resists. Why don't you let the right one in? Even just once. Yeah, the right one. The one who has not left. The one who does not resist the right nor the left. Why don't you let the right one in? The one who is right in the middle. Every sound you heard in that clip was produced through the voice box of the illustrious Jenny Barnes. Jenny came in and had a chat with me about her practice as a vocal improviser in Melbourne. So I'm in the studio with Jenny Barnes. Hi, Jenny. Hi, hi. <laughs> um, Jenny, do you want to give me a little bit of an idea of your musical background? Yeah. I started, well, I've always enjoyed listening to music. And I have an older brother and he played clarinet since he was little. So had always had somebody playing the clarinet. And most of the time it was really annoying. <laughs> um, and so my brother played clarinet and I did ballet when I was little. We lived in the country. And then um, went to high school and was still into doing dancing and stuff. And it wasn't until I finished high school and had been working just in a shop for a year. And I was like, oh, this is boring. And what should I do? And so I thought about doing music business. And because I loved music, I loved going to hear music and talking about it and blah, blah, blah. And my brother said to me, if you're going to do music business just to be around music, why don't you do music? And I was like, ah, oh, that's nice because my brother is pretty much my hero. <laughs> and so I was like, yeah, cool. So I started taking singing lessons when I was about 18. And then, yeah, took lessons every week for a year um, with a beautiful teacher named Sharon. And she taught me music, jazz music theory as well as singing and then I went to TAFE in Geelong and did a two-year TAFE course in music and then after that I went over to Perth and did a Bachelor of Jazz Performance at WAPA and then after that 
I went traveling around the world for a bit and um, got technique lessons in different places with different singers and um, yeah then came to Melbourne after that and just now it's now. would you say oh okay first of all how would you describe the kind of I guess solo work that you do at the moment um my my main interest for the since I can remember is um communication and um equality I think and so in my vocal practice I've always explored how to be equal or is it possible to have an equal um, group of a, a group of musicians or performers or people um, playing together with um, with equality there's no clear answer for that of course but that had always been a big motivation of mine because I I would listen to ensembles that I loved and thought, oh, there's nobody like writing out the intro on the lead sheet and writing the outro and dictating who's going to solo where and this kind of form that I studied um, in my education. And I just was so curious, how do you, pl- how do you actually play with each other? Because I've never been interested in being the director or, um, yeah, so I thought song form kind of was inhibiting for me and all the song forms that I knew of and that I'd studied sort of inhibited what I was interested in at that point. So... Yeah, I just started exploring sound and my voice and what I can do without without words, without kind of um, intelligible language. And just so that took me to study animals and um, started studying uh, like mammals, like cats and foxes and... Um, then looking at birds as well and it was as much an exercise in listening as it was in reproducing sound. So this is a clip from Jenny called Star Tick Tights and it's accompanied with a video of the lion. He's licking his lips, he's twitching his jowls and he's, he's just kind of hanging out. And eventually he gets up and he wanders over to a new patch of grass and he settles in there. Heaps of Jenny's audio grabs have really interesting videos associated with them. 
You can check them out on her Tumblr, Jar Jar Black Sheep. Am I right in saying that sort of um, sound of animals and, and sort of linguistic elements that have been a bit of an inspiration for you? Yeah, once I sort of gave myself permission to step away from, um, from a jazz form, which I am still totally in love with the jazz form, and um, yeah, but I gave myself permission to, to explore outside of that. And yeah, animals and also languages that are foreign to me. And I started that by just being on YouTube and looking around the internet for a long time and listening to things and finding shapes in languages that I don't understand that were of interest to me and trying to um, emulate those. And same with the animal calls as well, just thinking, whoa, I wonder if I can do that with my voice. So learning to listen and hear things in a new way or new to me and then if I felt like I could hear it, then I have a chance, chance of reproducing it. I've been really lucky in that I've been able to put myself in really linguistically diverse communities and um, experience people whose language it is and that's brought a whole another um, thing to my life and so what started out as a sonic adventure is now in a place where it's very uh, interpersonal and and um, social and and commun and all, it's it's all about language and meaning. <laughs> mm. <laughs> How do you go from hearing a sound? to actually creating it. What's the path there? Mm, that's interesting. Especially when I'm thinking about watching animals and birds make sounds because um, they're different. So you can't see how they're using their bodies to make it. And I think trying to... I haven't had a teacher that says, oh, this is how you make the sound of this thing and this is how you make the sound of that. I've had a couple of really um, you know, beautiful teachers that encourage me how to listen to myself. But in terms of the, the techniques that I use, I think I try to hear, compartmentalise a sound and then make a relationship to one aspect of the sound to another aspect of the sound and and yeah try to form relationship like that say if the sound's got three parts to it like a something in the throat something in the um, mouth and something in the body which all sounds have um yeah, then I try to make a relationship in my body 
to the the sound. I remember early on I was trying to figure out how to memorise these sounds because um, I can't really, if I translate it into English and write it down, that doesn't make sense. And so that's where the website came in. I just kind of documented my explorations and was always um, checking in that I was efficient with what I was doing, like not not doing anything superfluous to this to the sound making. Mm. I asked Jenny a little bit about the different contexts in which she uses her voice artistically. My first thought is about when I'm performing. Um, as a vocal performer, but I feel very much like in the language classroom. Um, I don't see any difference between between contexts that I move around in, whether it's performing in the choir or maybe I'm doing a solo show at an art gallery or maybe I'm um, in the sign language classroom or maybe I'm in the English language classroom, they're all, or maybe I'm just having my lunch out the front of the community centre. All of these contexts are involved, um, involve my skills as an improviser and as a, a, what is integral as an improviser and anything really is, is listening and being prepared to hear something that, that you unaware of, like going into your periphery, peripheral, um, and trying to stretch that so you, uh, you hear something else other than what I'm projecting onto the scenario. So I think the context that I perform in, it's my, li- it's my life really. Cecil Andresen crosses between the jazz and contemporary music worlds. However, these days she performs mostly as a solo vocalist. Andresen describes her method as exploring what the voice can do beyond just singing songs. This is Brooklyn-based vocal ensemble, Room Full of Teeth. They describe themselves as dedicated to mining the expressive potential of the human voice. of Norway is described as a composer, extreme vocalist, noise artist and electronic musician. 
With a background in classical composition and improvisation, Racha has cultivated all of those skills to explore the extreme sides of her vocal range, often alongside some pretty incredible electronic music. She creates what to me feels like an oral landscape. Her music can be so personal, but also so fierce and sometimes kind of frightening. I find it to be absolute fuel for your imagination. Australian composer and singer Carolyn Connors is well recognised for her work with extended vocal technique. These are some excerpts from a live set she wrote and performed for ABC Radio National's Live Proof series last year. The work is called What Comes After Love and it explores the love sonnets of Shakespeare. The vocal work I do comes from a very simple idea that we can make, each of us, our bodies can make a whole set of sounds that we don't actually use. We limit our vocal sound quite a lot. And I sort of, as lots of singers do now actually, have opened the doors out to anything that the voice does is a possibly legitimate sound to use in song. Carolyn explains a little about when she's searching for new vocal techniques. I reckon quite regularly I say, that's it, there's no more. I, I have to do something else. I just won't get... There's nothing more to be done here. I've done my work. I'm moving on. And then there's something else. And part of why there is something else, and this is um, very important to me, is an absolute commitment to not expand outside those parameters of being acoustic. So I don't use pedals. I don't do looping. With the voice, I stick to this acoustic voice and its uh, its worlds. I think the, the limiting or putting, not limiting, putting rules yeah. around things can actually be very useful. Now, I couldn't finish this episode without acknowledging the glorious Meredith Monk. Monk's a composer, a dancer, a singer, a choreographer, a director, a filmmaker. If you look up the word interdisciplinary, it should be her face winking back at you. But what she's most well known for is her incredible work in pioneering new vocal techniques. 
Monk began developing her compositional style in the glory period of 1960s, 70s New York, surrounded by revolutionary artists like John Cage and Yoko Ono. These guys were rewriting what was considered to be art or an artistic experience. After early training in Dalcro's Eurythmics, Monk developed an understanding that physical movement and music are one. She sees them as completely entwined. All of her oral works are associated with physical movements. And for me, this plays into what I think is the most beautiful thing about Monk's vast body of work. It's all taught through rote learning. She rarely has her music actually notated on paper. That's it for my third year today. Thanks so much to Jenny Barnes for popping on the show. You can check out her work on her Tumblr, Jar Jar Black Sheep. And also a big thanks to Carolyn Connors and ABC Radio National's Live Proof series. We'll post a link on our Facebook page to their website where you can check out all of Carolyn's performance. And finally, I've been hearing from a lot of you listeners about your own unusual instruments that you're either making or playing. So please keep them coming in. I love hearing about them and hopefully we're going to end up featuring a bunch of them on the show. Uh, you can contact me via any of the social media channels, Twitter, Instagram or Facebook. There's a My 30 year account. So jump on and get in touch. <laughs>